The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here is your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at HalliburtonLabs.com forward slash giveaway. Hey there, listeners. Welcome back to the Energy Scale-Ups podcast. I'm your host, Jose Solis, and today I am joined by our guest, Dr. Terrence Chambers. Dr. Terrence, or Dr. Chambers, rather, would you rather me call you Terry, Terrence? How would you like to be addressed? You can call me anything except late for dinner. <laughs> there we go. I noticed that Dr. Cohen introduced you as Terry, so let's just go with Terry. So just to give the listeners today a little bit of background, you are the Donald and Janice Mosing Endowed Chair in Mechanical Engineering and Director of the Energy Efficiency and Sustainability Energy Center at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, correct? That is correct. That is a lengthy title. I like that. <laughs> Tell us a little bit yeah, about it's yourself. A, it's a long title, but really it's just a long title for a fun job that just says, We've got a whole bunch of faculty and students who are trying to work on sustainability-related issues, and we're having a lot of fun doing it. Awesome. So give the listeners a little bit of a background on yourself, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure. I'm a mechanical engineering professor. I've been here at UL Lafayette since 1997, and we've been studying solar energy in Louisiana since 2010. And we are very fortunate that we have been able to acquire over the years some really wonderful state-of-the-art research, education, workforce development, and outreach facilities that are just second to none in the state and really national level facilities. And, you know, one of the things that I enjoy is that I have the biggest, coolest toys on campus (laughs) And (laughs) it's just fun to go work in our solar energy labs. We have two. We have one in Crowley, Louisiana at the Clico Alternative Energy Center that studies concentrating solar thermal power. And then another one in Lafayette in our research park where we study photovoltaic solar energy technologies. So between the two facilities, really capable. Interesting. So I did a little bit of background. So I found that really interesting, the Donald and Janice Mosing Endowment Chair. So just did a little bit of homework on who Donald and Janice Mosing are. I was really surprised and interested to find out that, you know, Donald was the son of Frank from Frank's Casing. And he was the one that, you know, went on and helped that company continue its growth, has been a huge proponent of the university, was a student there, also an athlete there. And I think it's really interesting that the revenue generated, the profits generated from a company that was has been and still is deeply entrenched in oil and gas operations globally is, you know, helping provide, you know, support to, you know, universities like UL and for the development of renewable energy, right? So I think that's really interesting. Well, it is. And I guess one thing I would like to mention is that Mr. Donald and his wife are just 
such wonderful people. We really enjoyed having them come visit the university. And as I'm sure you know, they donated not only to this program, to many others. They endowed a student success center in the College of Engineering, as well as donating to athletics. Just a wonderful family, just salt of the earth, wonderful people. And the endowment for my, it's called an endowed chair. Basically what it is, is for a university professor, it's one of the highest honors that you can get. It's a nice title and then a stipend. But more importantly, is that there is a fund that I can use to support students with and to buy supplies to use in the laboratory and such. And it with state budgets the way they are, it really provides a level of flexibility that would not be available otherwise. So it really is a great blessing to hold the Mosing chair in mechanical engineering. Yeah, we're definitely lucky to have people like that in our industry that are so giving with not just their resources, but with their time and, you know, have just been such a huge blessing. I mean, their philanthropic, you know, activities are just, I mean, second to none. And so really thankful and thank you for sharing a little bit of insight about that. So getting to the research facility itself. So Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about the energy efficiency and sustainable energy center at UL. And, you know, I noticed that there's a bunch of different disciplines and could you maybe just kind of give us a little quick overview of those disciplines that are all included? Yeah. So essentially what the center is, is a group of faculty that work on sustainability related issues, whether it is generating electricity through renewable means such as solar, wind, hydro, any type of renewable or sustainable energy generation technology that's included in this center, or any type of technology that require us to use less energy through energy efficiency means. So both are directed towards the same goal of reducing our harmful emissions. And when I looked at all of the different disciplines, one of the ones that stood out to me was cybersecurity. That one kind of, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but could you maybe tell us a little bit about why it was included? Yes, absolutely. Cybersecurity and energy systems turns out to be a really, really important issue and in ways that you might not expect. With the increased amount of renewable energy on the grid, there is a push to build something called smart grids, which essentially is a control scheme that operates at a kind of a higher level that allows the utilities to dispatch different renewable energy sources at different geographic locations in order to overall meet the demand. Well, what that requires is that all those plants have to be connected via the internet and controlled via the internet, which of course introduces the possibility of being hacked by bad actors. So that's one issue. But it's not limited to that. It turns out everything these days is connected to the internet, literally everything. And one thing that is connected is an electric vehicle. Vehicles these days are connected to the internet, as you know. And then the vehicle is connected to the charging station, which is connected to the energy management system for the building. So now you have another vector of cybersecurity risk from the car to the charging station to the building. 
And so one of the things that our faculty have been investigating is, is it possible to hack the car, use the car to hack the charging station, use the charging station to hack the building? And the answer turns out to be yes, you can. So they're finding these different modes of entry points into the grid that definitely creates a security risk, right? Right. You know, obviously, I think we know here in Texas for sure when the grids go down, you know, people sort of start losing <laughs> losing their minds. So definitely something that I'm glad that very intelligent people like yourself and the faculty around you are thinking about because, you know, when something like that comes up, I think the average person that is, you know, just used to, you know, they're focused on whatever occupation they have. They're not really worried about, you know, okay, is this grid secure? Am I, you know, am I going to find myself, you know, without power? if something were to happen or, you know, some sort of cyber attack, right? And I, I've talked to a few other like cybersecurity companies and startups, and they're definitely talking about, you know, what you mentioned, the internet of things, IOT, you know, smart grids, stuff like that. So that's really interesting to see that, you know, that you guys are taking that on as well as the research and development of the energy sources, renewable energy sources. Right. So that's right. really good. I mean, I think that really provides, I think, students with a 360 degree view of you know the entire industrial environment of renewable energy. So that's really great. And you mentioned earlier a little bit about the photovoltaic labs. The, I think its acronym is the PART lab, correct? And yeah. could you tell us a little bit about that project? Like how long did it take to construct the project? Because it looks pretty large. Right. We have a 1.1 megawatt photovoltaic applied research and testing lab. We do call it the PART lab on campus in our research park. And we use it for research and education. We teach classes. You know, I teach classes about solar energy in the classroom. Then I take them out to our solar lab and show them this is exactly what we're talking about. And we also use it for workforce development. So we have training test stands where we can train workers to install the solar modules and that sort of thing, teach them how to do the operation and maintenance and so on. And then we spend a lot of time giving tours of the facility to members of the general public, whether it's K through 12 students or public officials who they're finding that they may need to create a solar ordinance for a proposed solar plant in their parish and they don't have any experience with that. So they right. come out and they visit our facility and we help them understand the technology so that they can regulate it properly within their jurisdiction. Understood. Understood. And, you know, I saw that you had shared some information about solar projects that are currently going on here in the United States and their development over the past 10 years. Can you speak to those a little bit? Yeah. The last decade in the world of solar energy has just been stunning and transformational. The cost of solar technologies, especially photovoltaic solar technologies, has dropped by 90% in the last 10 years. And wind has also been dropping, such that it is now cheaper to build a new solar or wind plant than it is to continue to operate an existing coal plant. And for that reason, in 2019 was the crossover year when there was more renewable energy added to the grid than fossil fuel energy added to the grid. And that has just accelerated since so that in 2021, two-thirds of the new energy generation added to the grid in the U.S. was solar and wind. You know, I think it's really interesting, you know, that 
the cost has gone down. I'm curious, and maybe you can shed some light on this because with recent supply chain issues that have been going on here in the United States, and I know a lot of these components do come from overseas, do you think that there's you know going to be an increase in cost or do you think we'll see an increase in domestic manufacturing of photovoltaic panels or equipment around this type of technology? Well, I hope that we'll see an increase in domestic production of all of the components of solar energy. You know, Louisiana and Texas are traditional energy states, correct? but the energy market is changing. And if our states intend to continue to be dominant players in the world energy market, we need to change with the times. And when two-thirds of the new energy generation is from renewable, we need to jump on that bandwagon and not just jump on the bandwagon and follow. We need to lead. We need to be leading the world, which we have done for decades. We've led the world in traditional fossil fuel exploration and production and refining and so on. And now we need to do the same thing with renewable energy. And I believe that we can, but that transition, that energy transition is not easy. And it requires, first of all, some intentional effort. And then it requires significant investments and it requires training and research. And those are some of the areas where I feel like the university can help facilitate this transition so that states like ours, Texas and Louisiana, can remain dominant in the clean energy market going forward. You mentioned it a little bit, the concentrated solar power lab that you guys have. Can you provide just, and I found it really interesting because it wasn't something I had really gotten to in depth before. I just heard about it and I didn't really research it, but I did just a quick you know, Google search and I looked on the Department of Energy's website and they have like a short video on how it works. Can you provide a pretty simple overview on how that works? Yeah, certainly. There are two fundamental different technologies for how to produce electricity from the energy of the sun. The one is photovoltaic, which is what we've been talking about, which works more or less like an LED flashlight in reverse. An LED flashlight, you give it direct current electricity, run it through a circuit, and you get light. For a photovoltaic module, you give it light, it runs through a circuit, and you get direct current electricity. And then there's an inverter that converts it to AC electricity, and that feeds into the grid. So that's one technology. The other technology is reminiscent of when we were kids and we took a magnifying glass and we would try to start a pine cone on fire or something like that. (laughs) That's the same kind of thing. If you focus the rays of the sun on a small area, then you get very high temperatures. And so that's the idea of concentrating solar technologies is that you focus the rays of the sun using mirrors or that sort of thing or lenses, and then you get heat. And the short version, not quite fully technically correct, but the short version is you use the heat to boil water, make steam, turn a turbine, turn a generator, make electricity. And so what are like some of the energy or the power storage systems that you would have so that obviously when the sun goes down, you can create a constant flow of energy? Right. If you're using photovoltaic technologies and you're creating electricity directly from light, then In order to store that energy, the primary way you do that is with batteries. 
And if you're using the other technology, concentrating solar thermal, then you have thermal energy. So you're storing heat and it actually turns out to be cheaper to store heat than it is to store electricity. And so right now, what has happened over the last decade is that prior to the big drop in the cost of photovoltaic modules, the concentrating solar thermal technology was dominant in the U.S. and around the world. But then the photovoltaic technology dropped in price much faster than the concentrating type. And so it took over the majority of the market share. However, now that there is a lot of solar energy on the grid, and it is intermittent, both because the sun doesn't always shine in the middle of the day, there's clouds, rainy days, and so on. And then also, as you mentioned, we also use electricity at night when the sun's not shining. There's a need to store some energy for use when we need it. Well, we have not really had to focus on the energy storage issue yet, but that's becoming increasingly necessary as we replace large amount of traditional generation with intermittent renewables. The storage becomes more important. And as I mentioned, it's cheaper to store thermal energy than electrical energy. And so I personally think that we're going to see potentially a resurgence in the concentrating solar thermal technology as storage becomes more important. But either way, whether you're doing either type of solar plus storage that you do right now, it's already cost competitive with what we call peaker plants, which are those plants that are used. They're basically jet engines connected to a generator. And you can ramp them up and ramp them down to meet short-term demand. Well, you could do the same thing with solar plus storage. You could use it when you need it to meet that demand. And the cost of solar plus storage is already cost competitive with that of a peaker plant. So I think that we're going to see conversion of peaker plants powered by natural gas primarily to solar plus storage, whether it's PV plus battery storage or concentrating plus thermal energy storage. And is there any energy? I mean, I'm sure there is some loss during the regeneration after what is typically the percentage of the energy that is maintained during the regeneration after it goes to storage and then it's sent out for use? Yeah. You kind of have to put a whole bunch of asterisks after any answer that you give. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole bunch of technical issues there, but just rough numbers to give you an idea. It's probably in the 80 to 90% range. Okay. So it's pretty efficient. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And you know, one of the things that I had learned from the information you shared with me was all of this curriculum that UL has created to really, you know, develop the leaders in the renewable space for tomorrow. Courses, workforce training, internships, things of that nature. You know, can you maybe provide a little bit of light on to, you know, how that's continuing? I'm sure it's continuing to evolve, but maybe some of the steps that have gone into that process. Sure. One thing that we noticed here in Louisiana is there was really nobody doing solar energy training. And we felt like it was necessary. So we decided we would just step up and start doing it. So we've created six 
engineering courses for engineers who would work in the solar energy field. And then also we have licensed the curriculum for five workforce technician level courses. So we have 11 solar energy courses that we're teaching over here at UL Lafayette to try to meet the rapidly growing demand. One of the complaints or concerns that I hear from solar energy companies all the time is that there's a trained worker shortage. They cannot find enough trained workers. And so that's part of what we're trying to do. I mean, obviously, even now, right, when we've got you know a huge shift in employment in the United States, and then we've got this energy transition happening at the same time, and you know, employers are looking for not just, you know, dedicated workforce, but skilled labor, right? Skilled labor is something that's going to be, that's definitely getting higher and higher in demand. So it's really great that UL at Lafayette is taking the initiative to develop courses and training so that you guys can provide the workforce leaders of tomorrow in the renewable space. I think that's really awesome. And as you mentioned before, you know, we, Louisiana and Texas, we've got a long history in the oil and gas industry. You know, in what ways do you see the oil and gas workforce diversifying into renewable energy in the future? Actually, I think this is one of the most exciting and untold stories that's out there. I believe that the skills that are necessary for U.S. workers to succeed in the clean energy technology are very similar to the skills that our workers have already developed to succeed in the traditional energy economy. And likewise, the manufacturing facilities that we're currently using to manufacture tools and products for the oil and gas industry, those very same manufacturing facilities could very easily be also used to manufacture renewable energy components. One of the things that is some low-hanging fruit, for example, is that the bulk of the cost for a solar project turns out not to be the solar modules anymore. That used to be the biggest cost. Now the cost of those have come down so much that now it's the other components like the steel racks that you mount the modules on that account and the other balance of system components that account for most of the value in a solar power plant. And those are all products that we could easily be making right now. I mean, they're not rocket science and we know how to build steel structures. We're <laughs> excellent at it. Right. We do it for the oil and gas industry all the time. And actually, you know, you can, a lot of the higher paid jobs are going to be in the manufacturing, not in the installation. So, I mean, installation is important, but we really ought to be making money off of every step in the value chain for renewable energy from the project development and our landmen could be going out instead of leasing land for oil and gas projects. It could be leasing land for solar and wind farms and our banks could be loaning money for these renewable energy projects. And, you know, all of the things that we do all the way from exploration and project development through construction and production over the long term and then O&M and the construction of all the components, we ought to be making money in every one of those steps 
for projects all around the world, not just in Texas and Louisiana and not just in the U.S., but projects all over the world like we currently do for oil and gas. We do projects all over the world. You know, from Texas and Louisiana, our workers go all over the world and build new oil and gas platforms, right? Right. Well, we ought to be doing the same thing. We ought to be going all over the world building offshore wind farms, for example. You know, an offshore oil platform and an offshore wind platform are not that different. And the service vessels, the boats that service those are not very different. So we have all the skills that we need with just a little bit of retraining and a little bit of vision that there is a multi-trillion dollar industry out there that we need to get our fingers in that pie and not just joining in late to the game. We need to leapfrog to the front of the pack and start really leading the world. That's my view. Yeah. The way you framed it up was diversification and not replacement. And I really like that statement. I think that statement is very inclusive of all forms of energy. And I think that, you know, yes, we definitely need to be working on scaling up renewable energy efforts for sure. There's definitely room in the future for every form of energy that we can utilize, but we need to be more conscientious of how we're producing energy, the way we're producing it, and be more conscientious of the environment. And I think that's something that, especially as time's gone on, We've become, as a society, more and more in tune with, and I think that's great. Can you tell me where that statement came from, diversification and not replacement? Was that something that you came up with, or is that just sort of like you know the motto, if you will? Well, I'm sure that I wasn't the first one to think of that, but <laughs> that is how I feel. I feel like our traditional energy industries and companies are very well positioned to service both traditional energy and clean energy projects with the same tools, same machines, same workforce, and they could diversify their offerings. The oil and gas industry is notoriously cyclic, right? Mm -hmm. And so when their orders, when they run out of orders from the major oil companies to build tools or products, and they have some downtime, what are they going to make? in their machine shop. Well, they could be making racks for solar modules. Yeah. You know, and by the way, some of the modules that, you know, we do have a domestic solar module manufacturing industry, and that could be expanded. And some of the modules that are in our solar field were manufactured in Mississippi. And I feel like, okay, look, if Mississippi can do it, then Texas and Louisiana can. <laughs> <laughs> most definitely, most definitely. So Terry, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today, educating the listeners on a little bit about what UL at Lafayette's doing. How can listeners connect with you, learn more about what the university is doing? Where do they go? Yeah, if they wanted to visit our website at eese.louisiana.edu, you would find the website for our Energy Efficiency and Sustainable Energy Center. That's eese.louisiana, all spelled out, .edu. And there you'll find all of my contact information as well. Just feel free to shoot me an email, and I'd be happy to arrange a tour of our facilities or a Zoom call, and I can help you get started if you want to get into the renewable energy industry. 
Awesome. And before we go, I just want to remind the listeners to enter to win our weekly giveaway from Halliburton Labs. It's a really cool backpack that's made of recycled water bottles. It's really awesome. And I'd also like to ask the listeners to rate, review, and connect with any feedback that you have. Again, Terry, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate learning a lot about what you guys are doing, and I'm really happy that we were able to connect today. It's my pleasure. Anytime. Take care. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Join us again next week for another episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.